chapter nineteen of abraham lincoln a history volume six this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org abraham lincoln a history volume six by john hay and john george nicolay chapter nineteen the edict of freedom in his preliminary proclamation of september twenty two president lincoln had announced his intention to urge once more upon congress the policy of compensated abolishment accordingly his annual message of december one eighteen sixty two was in great part devoted to a discussion of this question without slavery he premised the rebellion could never have existed without slavery it could not continue his argument presented anew with broad prophetic forecast the folly of disunion the brilliant destiny of the republic as a single nation the safety of building with wise statesmanship upon its coming population and wealth he stated that by the law of increase shown in the census tables the country might expect to number over two hundred millions of people in less than a century and we will reach this too he continued if we do not ourselves relinquish the chance by the folly and evils of disunion or by long and exhausting war springing from the only great element of national discord among us while it cannot be foreseen exactly how much one huge example of secession breeding lesser ones indefinitely would retard population civilization and prosperity no one can doubt that the extent of it would be very great and injurious the proposed emancipation would shorten the war perpetuate peace ensure this increase of population and proportionately the wealth of the country with these we should pay all the emancipation would cost together with our other debt easier than we should pay our other debt without it he therefore recommended that congress should propose to the legislatures of the several states a constitutional amendment consisting of three articles namely one providing compensation in bonds for every state which should abolish slavery before the year nineteen hundred another securing freedom to all slaves who during the rebellion had enjoyed actual freedom by the chances of war also providing compensation to loyal owners the third authorizing congress to provide for colonization the message continued the plan consisting of these articles is recommended not but that a restoration of the national authority would be accepted without its adoption nor will the war nor proceedings under the proclamation of september twenty two eighteen sixty two be stayed because of the recommendation of this plan its timely adoption i doubt not would bring restoration and thereby stay both and notwithstanding this plan the recommendation that congress provide by law for compensating any state which may adopt emancipation before this plan shall have been acted upon is hereby earnestly renewed such would be only an advanced part of the plan and the same arguments apply to both this plan is recommended as a means not in exclusion of but additional to all others for restoring and preserving the national authority throughout the union the plan is proposed as permanent constitutional law 
it cannot become such without the concurrence of first two-thirds of congress and afterwards three-fourths of the states the requisite three-fourths of the states will necessarily include seven of the slave states their concurrence if obtained will give assurance of their severally adopting emancipation at no very distant day upon the new constitutional terms this assurance would end the struggle now and save the union for ever we can succeed only by concert it is not can any of us imagine better but can we all do better object whatsoever is possible still the question recurs can we do better the dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present the occasion is piled high with difficulty and we must rise with the occasion as our case is new so we must think anew and act anew we must disenthrall ourselves and then we shall save our country fellow-citizens we cannot escape history we of this congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves no personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us the fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honour or dishonour to the latest generation we say we are for the union the world will not forget that we say this we know how to save the union the world knows we do know how to save it we even we here hold the power and bear the responsibility in giving freedom to the slave we assure freedom to the free honourable alike in what we give and what we preserve we shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth other means may succeed this could not fail the way is plain peaceful generous just a way which if followed the world will forever applaud and god must forever bless no immediate action followed this patriotic appeal no indications of reviving unionism were manifested in the distinctly rebel states no popular expression of a willingness to abandon slavery and accept compensation came from the loyal border slave states except perhaps in a qualified way from missouri where the emancipation sentiment was steadily progressing though with somewhat convulsive action owing to the quarrel which divided the unionists of that state thus the month of december wore away and the day approached when it became necessary for the president to execute the announcement of emancipation made in his preliminary proclamation of september twenty two that he was ready at the appointed time is shown by an entry in the diary of secretary wells at the meeting to-day december thirty eighteen sixty two the president read the draft of his emancipation proclamation invited criticism and finally directed that copies should be furnished to each it is a good and well-prepared paper but i suggested that a part of the sentence marked in pencil be omitted chase advised that fractional parts of states ought not to be exempted in this i think he is right and so stated practically there would be difficulty in freeing parts of states and not freeing others a clashing between central and local authorities 
it will be remembered that when the president proposed emancipation on the twenty second of july and again when he announced emancipation on the twenty second of september he informed his cabinet that he had decided the main matter for himself and that he asked their advice only upon subordinate points in now taking up the subject for the third and final review there was neither doubt nor hesitation in regard to the central policy and act about to be consummated but there were several important minor questions upon which as before he wished the advice of his cabinet and it was to present these in concise form for discussion that he wrote his draft and furnished each of them a copy on the thirtieth of december as mr wells relates this draft omitting its mere routine phraseology and quotations from the former proclamation continued as follows now therefore i abraham lincoln president of the united states by virtue of the power in me vested as commander-in-chief of the army and navy of the united states in time of actual armed rebellion against the authority and government of the united states and as a proper and necessary war measure for suppressing said rebellion due on this first day of january in the year of our lord one thousand eight hundred and sixty three and in accordance with my intention so to do publicly proclaimed for one hundred days as aforesaid order and designate as the states and parts of states in which the people thereof respectively are this day in rebellion against the united states the following to wit arkansas texas louisiana except the parishes of mississippi alabama florida georgia south carolina north carolina and virginia except the forty-eight counties designated as west virginia and also the counties of and by virtue of the power and for the purpose aforesaid i do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states are and henceforward forever shall be free and that the executive government of the united states including the military and naval authorities thereof will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons and will do no act or acts to repress said persons or any of them in any suitable efforts they may make for their actual freedom and i hereby appeal to the people so declared to be free to abstain from all disorder tumult and violence unless in necessary self-defence and in all cases when allowed to labour faithfully for wages and i further declare make known that such persons of suitable condition will be received into the armed service of the united states to garrison and defend forts positions stations and other places and to man vessels of all sorts in said service it will be seen that this draft presented for discussion in addition to mere verbal criticism the question of defining the fractional portions of virginia and louisiana under federal control and the yet more important policy now for the first time announced by the president of his intention to incorporate a portion of the newly liberated slaves into the armies of the union mr wells's diary for wednesday december thirty one eighteen sixty two thus continues we had an early and special cabinet meeting convened at ten a m the subject was the proclamation of to-morrow to emancipate the slaves in the rebel states seward proposed two amendments one included mine and one enjoining upon instead of appealing to those emancipated to forbear from tumult 
blair had like seward and myself proposed the omission of a part of a sentence and made other suggestions which i thought improvements chase made some good criticisms and proposed a felicitous closing sentence the president took the suggestions written in order and said he would complete the document from the manuscript letters and memoranda we glean more fully the modifications of the amendments proposed by the several members of the cabinet the changes suggested in mr seward's note were all verbal and were three in number first following the declaration that the executive government of the united states including the military and naval authorities thereof will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons he proposed to omit the further words which had been used in the september proclamation and will do no act or acts to repress said persons or any of them in any suitable efforts they may make for their actual freedom mr wells had suggested the same change second the next sentence which read and i hereby appeal to the people so declared to be free to abstain from all disorder etc mr seward proposed should read and i hereby command and require the people so declared to be free to abstain from all disorder etc third the phrase and in all cases when allowed to labor faithfully for wages he proposed should read and i do recommend to them in all cases when allowed to labor faithfully for just and reasonable wages the criticisms submitted by mr chase were quite long and full and since they suggested the most distinctive divergence from the president's plan namely that of making no exceptions of fractional portions of states except the forty-eight counties of west virginia his letter needs to be quoted in full in accordance with your verbal direction of yesterday i most respectfully submit the following observations in respect to the draft of a proclamation designating the states and parts of states within which the proclamation of september twenty two eighteen sixty two is to take effect according to the terms thereof one it seems to me wisest to make no exception of parts of states from the operation of the proclamation save the forty-eight counties designated as west virginia my reasons are these one such exceptions will impair in public estimation the moral effect of the proclamation and invite censure which it would be well if possible to avoid two such exceptions must necessarily be confined to some few parishes and counties in louisiana and virginia and can have no practically useful effect through the operation of various acts of congress the slaves of disloyal masters in those parts are already enfranchised and the slaves of loyal masters are practically so some of the latter have already commenced paying wages to their laborers formerly slaves and it is to be feared that if by these exceptions slavery is practically re-established in the favor of some masters while abolished by laws and by the necessary effect of military occupation as to others very serious inconveniences may arise three no intimation of exceptions of this kind is given in the september proclamation nor does it appear that any intimations otherwise given have been taken into account by those who have participated in recent elections or that any exceptions of their particular localities are desired by them two i think it would be expedient to omit from the proposed proclamation 
the declaration that the executive government of the united states will do no act to repress the enfranchised in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom this clause in the september proclamation has been widely quoted as an incitement to servile insurrection in lieu of it and for the purpose of shaming these misrepresentations i think it would be well to insert some such clause as this not encouraging or countenancing however any disorderly or licentious conduct if this alteration is made the appeal to the enslaved may properly enough be omitted it does not appear to be necessary and may furnish a topic to the evil disposed for censure and ridicule three i think it absolutely certain that the rebellion can in no way be so certainly speedily and economically suppressed as by the organized military force of the loyal population of the insurgent regions of whatever complexion in no way can irregular violence and servile insurrection be so surely prevented as by the regular organization and regular military employment of those who might otherwise probably resort to such courses such organization is now in successful progress and the concurrent testimony of all connected with the colored regiments in louisiana and south carolina is that they are brave orderly and efficient general butler declares that without his colored regiments he could not have attempted his recent important movements in the la fourche region and general saxton bears equally explicit testimony to the good conduct and efficiency of the colored troops recently sent on an expedition along the coast of georgia considering these facts it seems to me that it would be best to omit from the proclamation all reference to the military employment of the enfranchised population leaving it to the natural course of things already well begun or to state distinctly that in order to secure the suppression of the rebellion without servile insurrection or licentious marauding such numbers of the population declared free as may be found convenient will be employed in the military and naval service of the united states finally i respectfully suggest that on an occasion of such interest there can be no just imputation of affectation against a solemn recognition of responsibility before men and before god and that some such close as follows will be proper and upon this act sincerely believed to be an act of justice warranted by the constitution and of duty demanded by the circumstances of the country i invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of almighty god it is not remembered whether mr stanton secretary of war was present at the cabinet meeting but he appears to have left no written memorandum of his suggestions if he offered any stanton was preeminently a man of action and the probability is that he agreed to the president's draft without amendment the cabinet also lacked one member of being complete caleb b smith secretary of the interior had lately been transferred to the vacant bench of the united states district court of indiana and his successor john p usher was not appointed until about a week after the date of which we write the memorandum of mr blair postmaster-general proposed a condensation of several of the paragraphs in the president's draft as follows 
i do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states shall be free and that the executive government of the united states including the military and naval authorities will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons and in order that they may render all the aid they are willing to give to this object and to the support of the government authority will be given to receive them into the service whenever they can be usefully employed and they may be armed to garrison forts to defend positions and stations and to man vessels and i appeal to them to show themselves worthy of freedom by fidelity and diligence in the employments which may be given to them by the observance of order and by abstaining from all violence not required by duty or for self-defence it is due to them to say that the conduct of large numbers of these people since the war began justifies confidence in their fidelity and humanity generally the memorandum of attorney-general bates is also quite full and combats the recommendation of secretary chase concerning fractions of states i respectfully suggest that one the president issues the proclamation by virtue of the power in him vested as commander-in-chief of the army and navy of the united states in time of actual armed rebellion etc and as a proper and necessary war measure for suppressing said rebellion date january eighteen sixty three two it is done in accordance with the first proclamation of september twenty two eighteen sixty two three it distinguishes between states and parts of states and designates those states and parts of states in which the people thereof respectively are this day january one eighteen sixty three in rebellion against the united states these three propositions being true i think they ought to be followed out without excess or diminution by action not by the declaration of a principle nor the establishment of a law for the future guidance of others it is a war measure by the president a matter of fact not a law by the legislature and as to what is proposed to be done in the future the least said the better better leave yourself free to act in the emergencies as they arise with as few embarrassing committals as possible whether a particular state or part of a state is or is not in actual rebellion on the first of january eighteen sixty three is a simple matter of fact which the president in the first proclamation has promised to declare in the record of course it must be truly declared it is no longer open to be determined as a matter of policy or prudence independently of the fact and this applies with particular force to virginia the eastern shore of virginia and the region round about norfolk are now december thirty one eighteen sixty two more free from actual rebellion than are several of the forty-eight counties spoken of as west virginia if the latter be exempt from the proclamation so also ought the former and so in all the states that are considered in parts the last paragraph of the draft i consider wholly useless and probably injurious being a needless pledge of future action which may be quite as well done without as with the pledge in rewriting the proclamation for signature mr lincoln in substance followed the suggestions made by the several members of the cabinet as to mere verbal improvements but in regard to the two important changes which had been proposed he adhered rigidly to his own draft he could not consent to the view urged by secretary chase 
that to omit the exemption of fractional parts of states would have no practical bearing in his view this would touch the whole underlying theory and legal validity of his act and change its essential character the second proposition favored by several members of the cabinet to omit any declaration of intention to enlist the freedmen in military service while it was not so vital yet partook of the same general effect as tending to weaken and discredit his main central act of authority mr lincoln took the various manuscript notes and memoranda which his cabinet advisers brought him on the thirty first of december and during that afternoon and the following morning with his own hand carefully rewrote the entire body of the draft of the proclamation the blanks left to designate fractional parts of states he filled according to latest official advices of military limits and in the closing paragraph suggested by chase he added after the words warranted by the constitution his own important qualifying correction upon military necessity it is a custom in the executive mansion to hold on new year's day an official and public reception beginning at eleven o'clock in the morning which keeps the president at his post in the blue room until two in the afternoon the hour for this reception came before mr lincoln had entirely finished revising the engrossed copy of the proclamation and he was compelled to hurry away from his office to friendly handshaking and festal greeting with the rapidly arriving official and diplomatic guests the rigid laws of etiquette held him to this duty for the space of three hours had actual necessity required it he could of course have left such mere social occupation at any moment but the president saw no occasion for precipitancy on the other hand he probably deemed it wise that the completion of this momentous executive act should be attended by every circumstance of deliberation vast as were its consequences the act itself was only the simplest and briefest formality it could in no wise be made sensational or dramatic those characteristics attached if at all only to the long past decisions and announcements of july twenty two and september twenty two of the previous year those dates had witnessed the mental conflict and the moral victory no ceremony was made or attempted of this final official signing the afternoon was well advanced when mr lincoln went back from his new year's greetings with his right hand so fatigued that it was an effort to hold the pen there was no special convocation of the cabinet or of prominent officials those who were in the house came to the executive office merely from the personal impulse of curiosity joined to momentary convenience his signature was attached to one of the greatest and most beneficent military decrees of history in the presence of less than a dozen persons after which it was carried to the department of state to be attested by the great seal and deposited among the archives of the government since several eminent lawyers have publicly questioned the legal validity of mr lincoln's edict of freedom as his final emancipation proclamation may be properly styled it is worth while to gather if possible mr lincoln's own conception and explanation of the constitutional and legal bearings of his act there is little difficulty in arriving at this 
his language embodied in a number of letters and documents contains such a distinct and logical exposition of the whole process of his thought and action from the somewhat extreme conservatism of his first inaugural to his great edict of january one eighteen sixty three and the subsequent policy of its practical enforcement that we need but arrange them in their obvious sequence the proper beginning is to be found in a letter of april four eighteen sixty four to a g hodges of frankfort kentucky in this he says i am naturally anti-slavery if slavery is not wrong nothing is wrong i cannot remember when i did not so think and feel and yet i have never understood that the presidency conferred upon me an unrestricted right to act officially upon this judgment and feeling it was in the oath i took that i would to the best of my ability preserve protect and defend the constitution of the united states i could not take the office without taking the oath nor was it my view that i might take an oath to get power and break the oath in using the power i understood that too that in ordinary civil administration this oath even forbade me to practically indulge my primary abstract judgment on the moral question of slavery i had publicly declared this many times and in many ways and i aver that to this day i have done no official act in mere deference to my abstract judgment and feeling on slavery i did understand however that my oath to preserve the constitution to the best of my ability imposed upon me the duty of preserving by every indispensable means that government that nation of which that constitution was the organic law was it possible to lose the nation and yet preserve the constitution by general law life and limb must be protected yet often a limb must be amputated to save a life but a life is never wisely given to save a limb i felt that measures otherwise unconstitutional might become lawful by becoming indispensable to the preservation of the constitution through the preservation of the nation right or wrong i assumed this ground and now avow it i could not feel that to the best of my ability i had even tried to preserve the constitution if to save slavery or any minor matter i should permit the wreck of government country and constitution altogether when early in the war general fremont attempted military emancipation i forbade it because i did not then think it an indispensable necessity when a little later general cameron then secretary of war suggested the arming of the blacks i objected because i did not yet think it an indispensable necessity when still later general hunter attempted military emancipation i again forbade it because i did not yet think the indispensable necessity had come when in march and may and july eighteen sixty two i made earnest and successive appeals to the border states to favor compensated emancipation i believed the indispensable necessity for military emancipation and arming the blacks would come unless averted by that measure they declined the proposition and i was in my best judgment driven to the alternative of either surrendering the union and with it the constitution or of laying strong hand upon the colored element i chose the latter 
the question of legal and constitutional validity he discusses briefly but conclusively in his letter of august twenty sixth eighteen sixty three to james c conkling of springfield illinois in this addressing himself to his critics he says you say it is unconstitutional i think differently i think the constitution invests its commander-in-chief with the law of war in time of war the most that can be said if so much is that slaves are property is there has there ever been any question that by the law of war property both of enemies and friends may be taken when needed and is it not needed whenever taking it helps us or hurts the enemy armies the world over destroy enemies property when they cannot use it and even destroy their own to keep it from the enemy civilized belligerents do all in their power to help themselves or hurt the enemy admitting the general principle of international law of the right of a belligerent to appropriate or destroy enemy's property and applying it to the constitutional domestic war to suppress rebellion which he was then prosecuting there came next the question of how his military decree of enfranchisement was practically to be applied this point though not fully discussed is sufficiently indicated in several extracts in the draft of a letter to charles d robinson he wrote august seventeenth eighteen sixty four the way these measures were to help the cause was not to be by magic or miracles but by inducing the colored people to come bodily over from the rebel side to ours and in his letter to james c conkling of august twenty sixth eighteen sixty three he says but negroes like other people act upon motives why should they do anything for us if we will do nothing for them if they stake their lives for us they must be prompted by the strongest motive even the promise of freedom and the promise being made must be kept the actual tangible military result which he declares was his constitutional and legal warrant for his edict of military emancipation is set forth in the following extracts whether we judge it by the narrow technical rules of applied jurisprudence or by the broader principles of the legal philosophy of christian nations it forms equally his complete vindication in the draft of a letter to isaac m Shermerhorn, he wrote september twelfth eighteen sixty four any different policy in regard to the colored man deprives us of his help and this is more than we can bear we cannot spare the hundred and forty or fifty thousand now serving us as soldiers seamen and labourers this is not a question of sentiment or taste but one of physical force which may be measured and estimated as horse-power and steam-power are measured and estimated keep it and you can save the union throw it away and the union goes with it and in the one already quoted to robinson august seventeenth eighteen sixty four drive back to the support of the rebellion the physical force which the colored people now give and promise us and neither the present nor any coming administration can save the union take from us and give to the enemy the hundred and thirty forty or fifty thousand colored persons now serving us as soldiers seamen and laborers and we cannot longer maintain the contest 
so also in an interview with john t mills he said but no human power can subdue this rebellion without the use of the emancipation policy and every other policy calculated to weaken the moral and physical forces of the rebellion freedom has given us two hundred thousand men raised on southern soil it will give us more yet just so much it has subtracted from the enemy let my enemies prove to the country that the destruction of slavery is not necessary to a restoration of the union i will abide the issue we might stop here and assume that president lincoln's argument is complete but he was by nature so singularly frank and conscientious and by mental constitution so unavoidably logical that he could not if he had desired do things or even seem to do them by indirection or subterfuge this the most weighty of his responsibilities and the most difficult of his trials he could not permit to rest upon doubt or misconstruction in addition to what we have already quoted he has left us a naked and final restatement of the main question with the unequivocal answer of his motive and conviction it has been shown above how mr chase in the discussions of the final phraseology of the january proclamation urged him to omit his former exemptions of certain fractional parts of insurrectionary states despite the president's adverse decision mr chase continued from time to time to urge this measure during the year eighteen sixty three to these requests the president finally replied as follows on the second of september knowing your great anxiety that the emancipation proclamation shall now be applied to certain parts of virginia and louisiana which were exempted from it last january i state briefly what appear to me to be difficulties in the way of such a step the original proclamation has no constitutional or legal justification except as a military measure the exemptions were made because the military necessity did not apply to the exempted localities nor does that necessity apply to them now any more than it did then if i take the step must i not do so without the argument of military necessity and so without any argument except the one that i think the measure politically expedient and morally right would i not thus give up all footing upon constitution or law would i not thus be in the boundless field of absolutism could this pass unnoticed or unresisted could it fail to be perceived that without any further stretch i might do the same in delaware maryland kentucky tennessee and missouri and even change any law in any state in these extracts we have the president's outline explanation of the legal validity of the proclamation like all his reasoning it is simple and strong resting its authority on the war powers of the government and its justification upon military necessity as to the minor subtleties of interpretation or comment which it might provoke from lawyers or judges after the war should be ended we may infer that he had his opinions but that they did not enter into his motives of action on subsequent occasions while continuing to declare his belief that the proclamation was valid in law he nevertheless frankly admitted that what the courts might ultimately decide was beyond his knowledge as well as beyond his control for the moment he was dealing with two mighty forces of national destiny civil war and public opinion 
forces which paid little heed to theories of public constitutional or international law where they contravened their will and power in fact it was the impotence of legislative machinery and the insufficiency of legal dicta to govern or terminate the conflicts of public opinion on this identical question of slavery which brought on civil strife in the south slavery had taken up arms to assert its nationality and perpetuity in the north freedom had risen first in mere defensive resistance then the varying fortunes of war had rendered the combat implacable and mortal it was not from the mouldering volumes of ancient precedents but from the issues of the present wager of battle that future judges of courts would draw their doctrines to interpret to posterity whether the edict of freedom was void or valid when in the preceding june the crisis of the mcclellan campaign had come upon the president he had written his well-considered resolve i expect to maintain this contest until successful or till i die or am conquered or my term expires or congress or the country forsakes me grand as was the historical act of signing his decree of liberation it was but an incident in the grander contest he was commissioned and resolved to maintain that was an issue not alone of the bondage of a race but of the life of a nation a principle of government a question of primary human right was this act this step this incident in the contest wise or unwise would it bring success or failure would it fill the army weaken the enemy inspirit the country unite public opinion these we may assume and not a lawyer's criticisms of phrase or text dictum or precedent were the queries which filled his mind when he wrote his name at the bottom of the famous document if the rebellion should triumph establishing a government founded on slavery as its cornerstone manifestly his proclamation would be but waste paper though every court in christendom outside the confederate states should assert its official authority if on the other hand the union arms were victorious every step of that victory would become clothed with the mantle of law but if in addition it should turn out that the union arms had been rendered victorious through the help of the negro soldiers called to the field by the promise of freedom contained in the proclamation then the decree and its promise might rest secure in the certainty of legal execution and fulfilment to restore the union by the help of black soldiers under pledge of liberty and then for the union under whatever legal doctrine or construction to attempt to re-enslave them would be a wrong at which morality would revolt you cannot said mr lincoln in one of his early speeches repeal human nature the problem of statesmanship therefore was not one of theory but of practice fame is due mr lincoln not alone because he decreed emancipation but because events so shaped themselves under his guidance as to render the conception practical and the decree successful among the agencies he employed none proved more admirable or more powerful than this two-edged sword of the final proclamation blending sentiment with force leaguing liberty with union filling the voting armies at home and the fighting armies in the field in the light of history we can see that by this edict mr lincoln gave slavery its vital thrust its mortal wound 
it was the word of decision the judgment without appeal the sentence of doom but for the execution of the sentence for the accomplishment of this result he had yet many weary months to hope and to wait of its slow and tantalizing fruition of the gradual dawning of that full day of promise we cannot get a better description than that given in his own words in his annual message to congress nearly a year after the proclamation was signed when congress assembled a year ago the war had already lasted nearly twenty months and there had been many conflicts on both land and sea with varying results the rebellion had been pressed back into reduced limits yet the tone of public feeling and opinion at home and abroad was not satisfactory with other signs the popular elections then just passed indicated uneasiness among ourselves while amid much that was cold and menacing the kindest words coming from europe were uttered in accents of pity that we were too blind to surrender a hopeless cause our commerce was suffering greatly by a few armed vessels built upon and furnished from foreign shores and we were threatened with such additions from the same quarter as would sweep our trade from the sea and raise our blockade we had failed to elicit from european governments anything hopeful upon this subject the preliminary emancipation proclamation issued in september was running its assigned period to the beginning of the new year a month later the final proclamation came including the announcement that colored men of suitable condition would be received into the war service the policy of emancipation and of employing black soldiers gave to the future a new aspect about which hope and fear and doubt contended in uncertain conflict according to our political system as a matter of civil administration the general government had no lawful power to effect emancipation in any state and for a long time it had been hoped that the rebellion could be suppressed without resorting to it as a military measure it was all the while deemed possible that the necessity for it might come and that if it should the crisis of the contest would then be presented it came and as was anticipated it was followed by dark and doubtful days eleven months having now passed we are permitted to take another review the rebel borders are pressed still further back and by the complete opening of the mississippi the country dominated by the rebellion is divided into distinct parts with no practical communication between them tennessee and arkansas have been substantially cleared of insurgent control and influential citizens in each owners of slaves and advocates of slavery at the beginning of the rebellion now declare openly for emancipation in their respective states of those states not included in the emancipation proclamation maryland and missouri neither of which three years ago would tolerate any restraint upon the extension of slavery into new territories only dispute now as to the best mode of removing it within their own limits of those who were slaves at the beginning of the rebellion full one hundred thousand are now in the united states military service about one-half of which number actually bear arms in the ranks thus giving the double advantage of taking so much labor from the insurgent cause and supplying the places which otherwise must be filled with so many white men 
so far as tested it is difficult to say they are not as good soldiers as any no servile insurrection or tendency to violence or cruelty has marked the measures of emancipation and arming the blacks these measures have been much discussed in foreign countries and contemporary with such discussion the tone of public sentiment there is much improved at home the same measures have been fully discussed supported criticized and denounced and the annual elections following are highly encouraging to those whose official duty it is to bear the country through this great trial thus we have the new reckoning the crisis which threatened to divide the friends of the union is past End of chapter nineteen